Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. And if you're if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see that we're just kind of floating heads uh, because we did not plan this. Uh, <laughs> me and Eric Bimefor, at Eric Bimefor, uh, I, I, I'm wearing, we both have green screens. And we're both wearing green kind of tinted shirts. It's not exactly the same as the green screen behind us, but it's enough so that, like, it, it thinks that it should overlay whatever on our shirts. And uh, and I thought it would be funny if we just, we're just kind of floating heads now. Just, right? If both of us, if both of us are doing it because it's like, oh, oh, you, you, have the, you have the same issue as me, so... So if you're on YouTube, we're just we're just kind of floating heads. Doesn't matter. I don't even understand why people we're just heads. You can just listen to the podcast version of this, or I don't literal know. talking heads. Literal right. talking heads. What, yes. what, 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 what does it matter? <laughs> uh, so so last week we talked about about best ball as it relates to to similar you know DFS strategy. Yesterday uh, we had uh, we had a 13 game MLB slate where the where the stone chalk. Highest projected stack just died, <laughs> right? But we haven't seen mm-hmm. that much this. It's it's weird to no. say that this season in MLB. Have you have you, I mean I'm. It, there's nothing. There's no analysis to get out of this. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think there's. There's. I think it's short term. You know, kind of like just cherry picking sample size. People people do that. Oh, the first month of the yep. season, the chalk hits. That means just keep on playing chalk type of thing. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that, but to me, it, it feels, and I'm using the term feels because there's nothing to, there's no data to go behind it, that, uh, this, the bat, the hitters from a hitter's perspective, uh, the, the better projected, at least like towards the top versus towards the bottom are much have a much higher success rate. Like we we're not we're not seeing that many slates where uh, the Mariners put up twelve runs and they're the they're the winning stack. Like maybe one or a one one off two you know two people, but it's going to mm-hmm. be like the Dodgers or the Astros or the Red Sox or the Blue Jays. Like teams that are like like their their ba- their bare basic talent level is so much higher than teams like the Pirates and the Tigers and the Mariners. Uh, and when we have these large slates, a lot of times, what I'm I've been doing this season, you know, you know, I mean, you talked about it before with the vomit stacks, like they're <laughs> unnecessary this mm-hmm. season. It's almost like I want to pay for the the diamond stacks now. That, uh, like, if the Padres are chalk and cores, it's like, well, just, just play the Blue Jays, and and you know, or just play the Astros, but not necessarily. Uh, well, Glasnow's popular, you know, play the play the White Sox against him. Like right. like the the leverage plays, those leverage stacks, I found are just not as they theoretically they should be more valuable because you get more relative value because the pitcher's owned, so you mm-hmm. pass more lineups. Just seems to me that it's it seems and feels to me that it's just not as successful this season. And I was going to ask you, uh, do you feel the same way? And does it matter? Is it just like it, it's been it's been two and a half months? And but I don't know. I mean, I we think, have, we've been playing MLB DFS for for years. 
Right. Now, is this just a, just a blip? Yes and no. I get, you know, not to be a to- total cop out, but I think, I think there are some small reasons as to why, not necessarily why like the chalk is hitting at a, at a higher rate, but why, some of the you know levers we might have pulled like you said like specific direct leverage stacks right like stacking against glass now or stacking against you know just generally chalky pitchers or on the opposite side you know playing a pitcher against a chalky stack in general those things like you said they have they have probably even more relative value now than before given the ownerships that we're seeing on the most popular plays but i think it's a it's a couple things like with the pricing as it stands currently, when you start to factor in win probability, right? Yes, you're getting the relative value from that from that direct leverage, but the win probability, you know, and the win equity of yeah, the Mariners against the chalky pitcher or the Marlins against the chalky pitcher or whatever, is still really low. And you can get so many other high probability stacks as pivots off of the off of the chalk as opposed to when the pricing is tighter right like right now there's what you probably say there's maybe like one or two teams a slate if that where you're like jesus how the hell do you can't even fit these guys like you can probably make just about every stack work if you really really want to so you end up you're not really it's not like the marlins are all 2k and 3k and all these other good offenses are 4k 5k 6k guys they're all it's all close enough that like okay maybe you have to downgrade one pitcher right or play the 2k play the the 2k catcher right which is what the field does all the time you know you play the like you, the the downgrades you have to make in order to get like significantly higher probability stacks are really not very significant right now given the pricing structure that we're playing within on both sites really but specifically on DraftKings because I think it's a little more it's a little more drastic so, like, I, I, you know, in terms of the leverage stuff, I think it's somewhat explainable, largely due, due to pricing. But the, maybe I'm stubborn. <laughs> maybe, we're both, maybe we're both stubborn. But I don't, I don't really see the chalk hitting a little bit more frequently as, as much anything, anything other than variance. I mean, I, I do think that, in general, the DFS community is better at finding the best spots and i will i guess say that mlb like major league baseball not tfs major league baseball is like very barbell structured right now right it's kind of like the nba like the tigers suck they know they suck they're trying to suck the orioles suck they know same thing marlins are i guess getting a little bit better but you have like x amount of teams at the bottom that are legitimately trying to lose they're the they're the oklahoma city thunder and then you have you know whoever at the top and there's unlimited spending Right. The Dodgers are spending hundreds of millions of dollars and they have a team of all stars. And then you have the Tigers who are literally trying to spend as little money as possible and trying to lose. So like that just naturally creates a little bit of this kind of uneven distribution of, of you know, talent, which in turn creates like, OK, when this team of Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette and Semien and I mean, they don't even have George Springer when George Springer comes back and all these superstars are in the best spot of the slate versus there's eight teams that are not even trying to win today you know it does create a little bit more of of that but i but ultimately i don't think that that means that you know them hitting or them winning slates like we saw you know not yesterday but 
Sunday. I don't know if you played Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. The, the, I didn't play Sunday, but I know that like that basically the blue the, the, the chalk <laughs> like the two the two high stone stacks for the Blue Jays and the Astros, nuts. and they both put up a combined total of thirty runs. <laughs> yes, and the Blue Jays hit seven home runs. Almost every starter hit a home run for the Blue Jays. They had multiple guys score like 40 fantasy points. And yeah, like you said, I mean, Michael Brantley scored like 40 DraftKings points and it was like all singles. So that tells you about, you know, when Michael, I think I can hit the ball about as hard as Michael Brantley does. Like he's a good hitter, but like he just doesn't hit home runs. So like he has to go five for five to score 40. And and he did on on Sunday. But that we're just, we're, we are definitely better at identifying those those best spots. And I think that, so maybe there is a little bit to it in that combined with this kind of nuance of what Major League Baseball is today. But ultimately, like, I still don't believe that, like, the difference between the Blue Jays on Sunday and I don't even remember who, you know, was maybe the third highest probability stack. I really don't think it's 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 much of a big deal. And I mean, like you said, we don't we definitely don't have a big enough sample size to to make a definitive statement on it. But then you see slates like yesterday where, like, you know, I didn't play the Padres, but like <laughs> I certainly didn't feel very comfortable going into the Padres game. Like, oh God, nobody's done anything really, and the Padres are about to start. Um, but, but then no one just, did anything. I mean, like no, yesterday, no, but, I 130 mean, 130 or something was winning. Was winning, you know, some GPPs. Well, I mean, the Reds did fine. The Tigers yeah, the Reds. did okay, but with so much ownership wrapped up in a lot of like low points, like that's. But of course, that's the slate where I decide to say that the Padres are still underowned, <laughs> right? That that's the slate where I go. Right. I think, I think that the in the bat, the projection difference between the Padres and the next teams were like like sixteen points. So yep. it's like, how do, I I almost can't make a lineup that doesn't now. It doesn't mean that I have Padres in every lineup, but now I'm just I'm trying to play Padres plus Phillies, Padres mm. plus. Tamp, I played the Rays against Lynn. I got three home runs out of that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to do that. But the problem, yeah. is, the problem is the Padres didn't do anything. So it's like now I'm sitting there with, okay, Royals. I, I hope the Royals plus the Reds do well enough. And Dozier leaves like 17 men on base. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that doesn't work out. What, in addition to this, do you think that the field will, is, and will be overweighting recent starts based on this whole sticky stuff. The whole sticky stuff. That's what we're going to call <laughs> the, the, whole, whole, the whole sticky stuff. Because we, we saw we saw because we got all the ace pitchers, but the Grum came out, have no problem, right? I mean, yeah. Cole came out, still struck out a ton. Bieber had Bieber, but Bieber already are, normally gives up home runs. Like it's like Verlander. Like I, I think, I think people are. I I think people are less likely. At least now, maybe a month from now, it's not going to be like this. But I knew, like in in the in the, this past week, that these aces are going to get slightly less ownership because the big talking point in baseball is is spin. Oh, spin rates are down, mm-hmm. and then Bauer gets kind of blown up. Still has seven strikeouts. So burns, it's burn. burns, right? But it it seems it seems like I, I believe I saw on Twitter or whatever that the strikeout rate and and the whiff rate is 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 the same. It's just a matter yep. of like Spin when they down. when they get hit, they get hit more. Type type of thing. But isn't isn't that what an eight? Isn't that what 
ace pitchers are to begin with. Like, we all know Max Scherzer, right? If you make contact with a Max Scherzer fastball, it may go out of the park. The problem is making <laughs> contact with a Max Scherzer fastball, <laughs> exactly. right? So do you think yep. going forward, do you think going forward, will, will you be adjusting? Are you more likely to, because you said, you said earlier in the season that people were overplaying these top price pitchers, right? They were mm-hmm. going over-owned. Do you think that's going to be swinging to the point where people are like, well, pitchers are going to be more, more even now that, that there's going to be a crackdown. I mean, it's in the official major league rules now. Yep. That you know they're going to be checked and stuff. Uh, I mean, is that is that going to impact your DFS play? Do you, do, you, do you think do you think the average DFS player? Do you think the field? I'm more. I'm I'm not even concerned about me. I'm concerned more about the field. I'm I'm more likely right. if if people yep. if like on the on the slate that Cole was on, I that was like right after like the whole. It was, the day, it was like the day the day after, after his interview, and he didn't even he give an answer or stuff. <laughs> My attitude after that was, I want to play more of him now. Because mm-hmm. like in, in a slate a month ago, he would have been like 65% owned in this spot. And now he's going to be 42% yep. owned, which is still the highest owned pitcher, but not as high. And it's like, okay, if that's what the field is doing. But then if the field was like, we're not concerned, we're going to rouse from at 65%. I'd be like, I'm going to have not barely have him and just hope that, you know, that whole sticky stuff, you know, <laughs> gets to him or something. So how, how, how are you, how are you treating the, how are you treating the whole sticky stuff? It's funny. That's a that's a very involved uh, question to answer, but it's really funny that you ask like about that because I literally just the day after, like you said, Cole was on that slate, and I've kind of written about it a couple of times. But it's not about like what do I what what am I thinking? Like oh, you know exactly what you said. I'm trying to analyze what the field is doing, and it really is just a a really like really perfect example of a something that I've thought about a lot more that I talk, I actually talked to um, ship my money, you know, Adam share ship my money for awesome. My dogs are going crazy. They must, uh, maybe they hate Adam, which would make sense because he's kind of a dick on Twitter. So I talked to him and he, and he, he phrased it perfectly um, kind of summarizing this, this concept. And it was, you know, it's not necessarily just about ownership or, you know, raw ownership or what I think about Garrett Cole or whatever is, the trick really is finding out how owned someone should be. That's the like that's the hard part. Like I I can tell you who the chalk is going to be, right? And like you said with the Padres, you thought the Padres were going to be the chalk, but you still thought they were going to be underowned relative to their projection, right? And so it's not about even really what I think, you know, with the the sticky stuff with with Garrett Cole, but that's what I was talking about going into that that day. I'm like, look, this is a thing. Clearly this is a thing that we need to think about but we need to think about it in a way is how you know how big of an impact is this really to like the volatility of his projection probably not very much you know maybe a couple percent right it changes who who knows what that's going to be i mean i i think with people using projections like they're going from a long a large sample size and i i think that people are going to overcompensate too much right in the same way that we, we make fun of bvp yeah, like like that. B, the BVP thing is the most frustrating because BVP batter versus pitcher, like the exact matchup of a batter versus pitcher, is real. Yes, is absolutely real. But we don't have sample sizes large enough to know when it is 
for certain batters and pitchers and when it's not. And then when you do have a sample size of even 150 at-bats, which is a lot of at-bats for, for a batter and a pitcher, to, that that some of those at-bats are from seven or eight years ago when there was least. a different pitcher and a different... I mean, that it's a different person. Lucas yep. Giolito and Miggy Cabrera are two different people, <laughs> right? Five years ago, right? I mean, so what does it matter what happened back then? But if there was, there, you'd be able to. You just, you don't know... Oh, he's 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 three for twenty six against this guy. He's that could that could be because that could be he's bad because of the pitcher. He's it's for something specific to the pitcher. And then when someone's like eight for fifteen with three home runs, like oh, he loves that he could hit he could hit his stuff. That it could be, mm-hmm. or it could just be just random just random variance. I think what's gonna happen in the next month is that. Who knows? Who knows what pitchers are more affected by yeah. what, what pitchers used foreign substances? Didn't use foreign substances? Maybe they use it sporadically. Right? I mean, you you you're gonna have no idea. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna have no idea if if they're currently doing it anyway. Still, yeah, right. right. Like that they they they, 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 they the somehow next, found they a found way to get next. away with it. Also, mm-hmm. yep. so like when when I'm not gonna know that. I'm not I'm not gonna know is 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 is. You're gonna know. You're gonna know pretty much. Like good pitchers are good pitchers, but still, obviously, uh, the stuff they put on the ball affects certain pitches over other pitches. So now you can get into the whole thing of: uh, do they do they throw four seamers? Do they not? Yep. Do they right? Do they, I mean, like what they throw? But like you're still gonna be stuck in that mode of: was he real beforehand? Is he real now? Was he pitching that way before? Are 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 the pitch mixes gonna be different? Now it's like, well, I can't get away with this, so now I'm going to be throwing more sliders, and maybe he ends up with more strikeouts that way. I mean, like maybe a pitcher that is that has been using it to, for control is now actually going to get more. Maybe maybe like Robbie Ray, like this season, like Robbie Ray has looked really good. Yep. But the past season or two, he's looked really bad. <laughs> so. Is is Robbie Ray using the sticky stuff, or is it the fact that he got a good pitching coach and and he's good? And even when he takes away the sticky stuff, he's still striking out ten. I mean, you're not going to know, and you're not going to know by the next start. Like if Robbie Ray goes out and does a classic Robbie Ray of six walks, eight earned runs, and three home runs with seven strikeouts, right? (laughs) Uh, Oh, oh, he's he's dead, right? To me, to me. The va- to me personally, the value comes into the start after that start. Yeah, right. That, that you get that one game sample size of like, uh oh, you know if you know Brower gets shelled, right? This he was chalk on what Saturday night or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like that makes me want to play Bauer more the next slate because I think his ownership starts plummeting because they go, nope. It's like, dude, it's Trevor Bauer. We it's not it's not like the. He's been pitching for a while. He's he's a power top pitcher. That's why the Dodgers signed him. I don't think all of his skill comes down to him being able to to doctor up the ball, right? No, right, right. And instead of being th- on a slate, he'd be on like FanDuel on a one pitcher site. Uh, who knows? The next slate, he, he should be fifty four percent owned, and he ends up at like twenty six percent owned because because people are like, uh oh. And his price comes down, right? Because they price it, start pricing him down. He's like 10, yep. 10 2 on FanDuel. And it's like, nah, nah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play Pablo Lopez at, at seventy eight hundred instead. 
right? Like, and then pay up for bats. And it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm expecting, but I may not do it the first start, Mm -hmm. right? You may, you may wait, like you wait, you wait for it to have, like, I, I just, I, it's hard. It's hard to figure out what the field is going to do. Yeah. It's such an interesting, um, thinking it through as you were talking about that, because it creates this trickle down effect too, where people then start, right? So, okay, let's, let's make the baseline level assumption that the example that you just said is, is true, which I, which I actually do think, um, is like the most likely thing, right? Okay. People are very aware of this thing being a thing with the sticky stuff. The whole sticky stuff. Yeah. The whole sticky stuff. I'm just saying it a bunch. So it could be the title of the show. It's hard to say. Yeah. Sticky substance is hard to say. So the whole sticky stuff is much better. Sticky stuff. Sticky stuff. So everybody's aware of this and then you just so happen, right? This is why I'm, this is a hundred percent a simulation that we're living in because every single, every little thing like this, it's like that news comes out, guy gets blown up the next day, right? Bauer. Like it's like, you can't predict, like there's only so many, um, you know, awfully convenient things happening. So anyway, this happens, right? I agree with you. I would, I fully expect that's my guess is that you see, you know, ownership go down on like say Trevor Bauer. Well, the really funny thing is, to your point, we don't know shit about who's using what, who has been doing what, who's now using something else, who who was impacted, who wasn't impacted. So, like, these guys that are the aces, that's where we've, like, branded this thing around, right? The aces and certain individual names. Well, like you said, the guy moves to Pablo Lopez. How the hell do you know that Pablo Lopez isn't impacted by this, right? Or, Or you moved... To some other pitcher. Well, he pitched. He pitched. Well, Pablo had a good game last game. So, like, I don't think that it, this thing has impacted him. But look at Bauer; it impacted him. But you don't. You don't know any of that to be true. So then you move away from a guy because you you think something. Bauer could actually be the one that's not impacted, and Pablo could be the one that is impacted. So, like, my whole point is basically that you know, since we don't know, given the uncertainty, you do have to assign like some sort of like. How owned should this person be when you take into account the fact that there's this big unknown thing, right? Because like it's never zero or a hundred, right? Because we just, we just don't know. But given everything that we know, like what should Trevor Bauer be on? Should we knock him down a couple percent? Should we, should we knock him down? Whatever, you know, and I tend to be more on the, and everybody's opinion on this is, is probably a little bit different, but it was going back to the example before the sticky stuff was like DeGrom and the aces like you brought up that I mentioned and I and I, I still believe this, like most of the aces are being way over owned. But like that wasn't true for DeGrom. DeGrom wasn't over owned, but people were treating Glass now like DeGrom. People were treating Bieber like DeGrom. People were people were frankly like like you mentioned Scherzer. I don't think Scherzer, you know, Scherzer is unbelievable, but a lot of the times he shouldn't be treated like DeGrom so because truth, of what truthfully, you said. I, truthfully, I think it's DeGrom and then there's a drop. Yeah, this, I, I, I think the, I think the Gram is is, yeah. You could you could put some of these, you know, sure. I mean, we we play Scherzer like he's an ace, but like when, when if the if the Gram's on the mound and he's twelve thousand five hundred, like I just I just I just feel like I could just lock in twenty five points and don't even have to like twenty five is his floor. It doesn't. I don't care if he's going up against. Uh, dude, if Jacob Degrom is ten eight in cores. I'll probably still, I mean, like to me, yep. I mean, the, I mean, if you watch him pitch, if you, I mean, it just, I he, mean, he, should, he really I, should be the NL MVP. To, to, that's correct. So far. He, he, 
I watch so like I, I do watch watch a fair amount, but I uh, it's well it depends on if I played him or if I didn't play him with the Grom. But it's like if you didn't play him and you're watching, it's the most miserable experience of all time. The guys are lost. So he played he played the Padres, one of the best offenses in baseball, and they're back to fully healthy. Grisham back, Cronenworth, you know, Fam. Well, I don't know if Fam's any good anymore, but anyway, you know, obviously Tatis and Machado and whatever. These guys were lost. Like so, there's like. A, I'm not trying to say because it's not just eyeball test. You can look at it in in the numbers. Right, you, you look at it at the, at the metric. Just that the underlying yeah. metrics are 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 ridiculous. Absolutely, and, and but but DFS players don't. So like when he's 80 percent owned, it's usually we might we might be able to argue that he's still under owned. Right at 80, percent we can at least have a conversation about what should his ownership be. You know, and, and it's probably at least somewhere in that ballpark. But at the beginning of the year, we were getting. The same thing for lots of other guys, and everybody was treating every slate the same way. This is the best projected pitcher. Name doesn't doesn't matter. This is the best projected pitcher. I'm playing him, and then like I'm probably you know there was a time where it was you know spend up and then spend to the middle, and then we and then pricing got so crazy it was just play whoever you want because you can afford like twenty five thousand dollars a salary at pitcher and still get bats. But anyway, people were treating everyone the same, and so it just goes back to this idea of like figuring out how owned someone should be. And then, and the DeGrom thing is always just a shining example for me because people are like, Oh, you chalk donkeys or whatever. You know, why are you, why are you playing an 85% owned pitcher? I'm like, well, because he should probably be 95%. Right. Well, the same thing, the same thing, Eric, that that I said about the Padres yesterday. Like I looked, I looked at the ownership. I looked at the projection difference and said, it's not like I want to build all my lineups with the pod. I'm not playing 150 lineups on FanDuel. But it's like, I'm looking through lineups going, uh, I could get leverage with in the other spots yep. and bring up my projection 10 extra, 12 extra points by playing a three-man dot, three-man Padres or four-man Padres and keep the, and well, how much ownership discount do I need at that? I mean, like yep. at that point, that... To me, the Padres were under. Like it, it came out that based based on on the projections that I use, the Padres were underowned. Now, what you're now in the in the hitter example, when we talk about stacks, it's the same thing as the the example with the Grum. What ends up happening in an example like yesterday, the Padres are mega owned, right? They're going to be mega owned tonight against Chichi Gonzalez in a seven total, right? Uh, what ends up happening is that the next day. Like I like right now, for instance, on the FanDuel stack projections for uh for uh today's to, for, uh, whatever you listen, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're gonna give it an example anyway. Uh yeah. the ceiling projection for the Padres is 122.18. <laughs> okay. The next highest team is the Rockies against Darvish at 101. <laughs> Okay, then the next is the Red Sox at 96, the Nationals at 94, the Indians at 93, the Phillies at 91. So if you were to go down from the Padres to the Phillies, you're sacrificing 30 points of ceiling to do so. <laughs> How much ownership are you getting out of it? You're probably getting a bunch of ownership, but in the same way with your DeGrom example, what happens sometimes, if as long as there's a clear top stack, people tend to treat the top stack the same way that they treat the top pitcher. So like, yes, in, in yep. yesterday's example, it was similar. I mean, today is even bigger gap 
because of Chichi because Austin Gomer is actually not that bad of a pitcher. Uh, right. So like to me, if you tell me on this slate today, the Padres having more than a twenty point higher ceiling projection, if they're going to be this, if they're going to be twenty percent owned, even on a fifteen game slate, that's probably still under owned. But yep. if tomorrow, if we go to another slate, and let's say the Blue Jays, right? It's it's the Blue Jays versus Matt Harvey, or you know, like something like that, right? Uh, and the Blue Jays, let's say, have a ceiling of like a one hundred three, and the next best team is like the Red Sox at one hundred, and the next best team is ninety eight, and then ninety seven, and then it's like the Blue Jays aren't like they're yes, they're clearly the top stack. But if they're going to be twenty percent on that slate, then they're over, then now they're over owned because the gap between the teams is so much smaller. Same way with the pitching of when Degrom is twelve thousand, and uh, and Aaron Nola is is ten four. Like yeah, Aaron Nola is a good pitcher, but he's dude. Aaron Nola is nowhere close to sixteen hundred dollars in salary. To the Degrom should be fourteen eight at that point then. Right. Like that's yep. how far ahead Degrom is <laughs> of mm-hmm. other pitchers, and then but what'll end up happening is that the next slate, it'll be uh, uh, we'll get uh, like uh, Lance Lynn, right? Yep. At like that's exact. That's the same right, name I was getting. Right. Use. Like Lance Lynn will be the highest priced pitcher at ten six, and someone like Pablo Lopez will be like eighty six hundred, and he'll be like, like Pablo Lopez, like. Shouldn't be twenty one hundred. Like Lance Lynn is not that. Yes, he's the best pitcher on the slate. Yes, and he's the best matchup or whatever. But like you're you're looking. I mean, I take a look at today's slate. I mean, today's slate is not very good pitching wise. We have Darvish yep. against Colorado in cores, and then we have a bunch of like Julio Urias, right? I take a look at the pitching projections. I'm I'm looking at Fanduel. It's a one pitcher spy site. The top projected pitcher is Mike Miner. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. So, but what'll end up happening is that they'll look and they'll go, well, how can I stomach playing any of these other pitchers? They, they, no, you don't want to, it ends up one of those slates where you don't want to play anyone, but you're like Mike Miner against the Tigers, just lock him in. And it's like, well, you shouldn't be, he'll end up on Fandle being 30% owned for no reason. Because mm-hmm. like, what's the difference? I mean, you could play Heaney, you could play Castillo, you could play Corbin. Yes, you feel better with Mike Miner, but all these other guys have ceilings. Play Erod against Atlanta. And be like, how do you play Erod? He's sixty four hundred against oh. Atlanta. I mean, is he that much of a worse play than playing Taiwan Walker against Chicago? I mean, like, like there's no one, there's no one here. Or you play Ryu yep. against the Yankees at eighty five hundred. Oh, I don't like the matchup. So, I mean, so like, like, is there that big of a difference between these pitchers? And I think what what you're saying happens on both sides of the ball on hitters. Yep. And it and it all comes down to I, I like the way that you put it with the how much should that how much should they be owned? It's something something I call efficient ownership. Like yep. what's the what's the efficiency of the ownership? And what what people have asked this before? How do you calculate that? And to me, it's it, it's it's very hard to. Yeah. Like number, yeah, the, I, I would argue it's almost impossible. It's almost but. If you if you were to be able to calculate it accurately, that would be to me that would be the most important numbers that I need. Correct. That's essentially what I'm essentially what I'm doing is looking at okay, my whole remember it's the whole lineup. I'm looking at all the players and everything together and go, 
I want to play more players that are inefficiently owned than than over, you know, under-owned than over-owned. Yep. But even though they're over-owned doesn't mean they're not high-probability plays. You could still play them, especially when the field sizes of the contests go down, where it's like, you know, okay, just take the highest projection and you're done. You have enough leverage. Uh, but to figure out, the ex- like, the exact number, like, I... But you know me, Eric. I I don't do things. My my whole attitude is conceptual. I va- I value not being precise, but just buying being directionally accurate. That I could take yep. a look at at on on DraftKings right now on 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 Rotogrinders ownership. Uh, we have like the the San Diego at like twenty nine for Tatis, twenty nine for Machado, twenty seven for Grissom at four K. Uh, Fam at thirty eight hundred twenty four percent, twenty three percent. I, at these prices, based on the gap between the two, it's quite possible they're under-owned, but they, I don't think they're under-owned by that much. Maybe they yeah. should be 30%. Like they're, it's, it's, it's close to efficient, but then I, I take a look and uh, I go by, by salary or something. And uh, Vlad Guerrero against Jordan Montgomery doesn't project anywhere near as well, and he's going to be 8% owned. Like I could tell, I could automatically tell that that's because he's expensive, but he's yep. he's underowned. Or Acuna against Rodriguez at forty five hundred, nineteen percent. I go, yeah, maybe maybe you should be fifteen or something on this yeah. Fanduel. Then I look at uh, at uh, like Jose Ramirez versus Harvey, seventeen percent owned. I go mm-hmm. at third base. I mean, because Machado's going to get some ownership. Maybe maybe yeah. Ramirez is underowned. Right, I took it. Bo Bichette against Montgomery, five percent on. Like that's to me, that's under owned. Like yep. the Blue Jays against Jordan Montgomery. Oh, Jordan Montgomery is a decent. Okay, whatever. But is he that much different than the Pod? Should the Padres be six times his owned? Right. Should the the the, the Braves? Should the Braves be double digit owned against Eduardo Rodriguez? I don't think so. No. Right, but I say this, and you agree with me, but. Did we do a formula? No, that, that, directional accuracy. Totally. That, that, that's like my whole thing, because I think we've kind of talked about this with maybe some some other subjects, but there's only so much kind of juice you can squeeze out of it, even as clo- like as close as you can get to being um, like 100 percent. Like you said, the dream would be this would be the greatest tool you could possibly have if you could get 100 percent accuracy right on exactly what the efficient ownership of every player, every, every stack. Right, you'd is. also need to project ownership of the actual contest perfectly also. Yes, exactly. Which is, which, so I think anyone that has, you know, has a brain really can probably understand that this is not really a feasible thing to achieve. Even if it were feasible, you would have to spend so much time and, and effort that the, the, you know, the juice to squeeze at the, at the very end would not be so much different than just, the point of this directional accuracy, everything you're getting from this directional accuracy is like getting you 95% of the way there. And so to spend like what you would have to do to even see if it's possible to reach finding efficient ownership would be like, you'd have to move such crazy mountains that it's like, are you going to do that for like a, a tiny little thing that I don't even, you know, a tiny little boost to what I'm already getting from this. I it's a basically eyeball test, which is really quite right. frankly, all, all that I do. I'm, you, you just kind of got to sit back and soak in the slate. Right. And that's like the first thing you do every single morning on road grinds is the first thing I do. You just kind of soak in. Here's what the slate is about. 
right? And it doesn't have really anything to do with any of the names outside of maybe a pitcher or two because um, they kind of drive so much of, of the slate the slate context. But so this you just kind of identified, like you said, okay, like let's look. Well, okay, Padres against Chi-Chi. Makes sense. Okay, here's where they are. Here's what about, eh, okay, looks about right. Then, like you said, you, you look down and you're like, I like to sort by go to lineup HQ and just sort by a couple of the first like few columns, basically, whether it's like player pricing. And I just like to look, okay, here's the most expensive hitters or whatever. And then, and then, and then look at their projection and their ownership, you know, and ceiling and some of the other factors. And you're like, okay, here's all the most expensive guys. Oh, the most expensive ones, 2%, the second most expensive ones, 1%. And Oh, oh okay. There's Satis, right? Okay. You know, 30 or whatever. And you just kind of, okay, that makes sense. Move over to like fantasy points. Let me see who the highest raw projections are, right? And like you said yesterday, almost sometimes that just tells you everything you need to know about the slate. Where yesterday it's like, hmm, Padre, 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 Padre. Today it's like, oh, yep, all the Padres are up at the top of the raw points projection. And then like I'll sort by projected ownership too. And just kind of like soak in all of that stuff as well as like looking at the optimals. And you can really quickly just get enough information from like, you know, it took me longer to explain this than it takes me right. to do it. <laughs> no, every, I was, you know, was going to show like on the, on this current slate, like what I do, the my overview of the slate, obviously the, the projections will change when starting lineups come out, is yeah. that I sort by the stack, because the bat has a stacks page. Yep. That it computes, you know, the four-man stacks on, on FanDuel. I'm just using FanDuel, for example. Uh, and... The average, you know, the points of four four players, like the best, you know, four players that it could make to the average mm-hmm. of all of them. And it gives you like... Oh, bless you. Uh, gives you like... It's that sticky stuff. Right. Like point per dollar value versus raw point ceiling. And, and GPP, I primarily care about ceiling. And I also know that the better point per dollar value that they are, the more owned they're going to be because they could fit yep. in more with like uh, high-priced aces. So I know that... <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so I know that on the Bat Stacks page, the higher ceiling teams that don't show up as like one of the top stacks point per dollar are going to be lower owned because they're not good point per dollar values. So yep. like that, typically I'm like, I look on this, this slate today, for instance, as an example. Like, we have the Padres at 122. The Reds are at 91. They have a poor point per dollar value, so they, they barely come up. And you're probably not going to be able to play the Reds and the Padres together at their prices. Right. So I know that the ownership is mo- most likely going to be low. And then, obviously, if I go to the ownership column, I look I look at... We have, on Roto-Grinders, a top stacks and stack values page. Right? So I go and I look at I look at that only because it'll give me the average ownership. I don't care about the smash yep. percentage. I just care about the average ownership of everything. That obviously depends on which players you play in the stack. But mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to get a ball like we're doing, directionally accurate. So I look at Cincinnati on FanDuel. Average ownership, 2.94%. <laughs> okay, they're the... like Padres, 22 Indians eight, Washington eight, Dodgers seven, Royals six, Mets four, Boston four, Blue Jays four, Arizona. I mean, we have to go down. It's they're they're like the eleventh team in ownership, but 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh highest ceiling. And their ceilings are, are commensurate with like the Phillies, the Reds, the Dodgers, the Royals, the Astros. They're in a whole, bu- they're in a group between 88 and 91 with like ever with a ton, with a ton of teams. Yep. And then the teams above them, like the Nationals and the Indians are like a two points, a point. The Red Sox are a couple of points. I mean, so like I take a look at like the Red Sox and the Nationals and I go, well, based on their ownership, the Red Sox are 4%. So, okay, that, the Nationals are 8%. So I'm like, well, shouldn't the, shouldn't the Nationals and the Red Sox kind of be similarly owned? <laughs> right? So maybe the maybe Washington's over-owned. I look at the Indians against Matt Harvey, 8% ownership. I look at the stack projections. They're up there. And they're the best, one of the best point-per-dollar values. So, mm-hmm. so they are up there. So they're, they're, they may be efficiently owned. Like maybe they're not over-owned. People would look and go, oh, I can't play the Indians. Everyone's going to play them. Everyone's going to play Padres plus Indians. It's like, well, maybe maybe they're properly owned. But then you take a look at some other teams and you go, go and on the stack projection page, like I, like I mentioned the Blue Jays, right? They're right in the middle projection-wise, right? Against Jordan Montgomery. And then I look on the the stack, and they're going to be like four percent owned. So may actually, they maybe they may be slightly over owned, yeah. right? They, based on that, based on the projected ownership. Now that's based on an average ownership. People get people get confused because they're like, oh, they're going to be four percent owned. In average, it could why we see a lot of times that, av- like you could play the Padres today, for instance. I'm saying today, people listen to it whenever, but use this as an example. So like the Padres, for instance, we're going to be the highest owned team by far, no problem, right? No nothing, right? The average ownership on that stacks for stacks page for FanDuel is 22.45%. But if you look at the starting lineup, Pham 24, Grissom 27, Machado 29, Tatis 29, Myers 23, Hosmer 9, Cronenworth 4, Caratini 2. So... Yes, if you play Fam Grissom, Machado, Tatis, yeah, that's a twenty-five percent owned stack. You play Cron. You let's say you play Hosmer and Cronenworth, Machado, Tatis, and you leave out the outfielders. That's a much lower owned. St- that's yep. that's actually a lower. You're playing the obviously not, you're not playing the best, all four of the best hitters in the lineup, but you're still playing the chalk team and you're still playing high projected players. So people people get into this this notion that like, well I can't play like I can't play the Braves today. It's like who says who says you can't, right? And well, I, I can't because uh, because they want to play Acuna, Freeman, Albies, and Riley or something like that. And it's like, well, why don't you just play when you play uh, Contreras in your in your catcher spot? Yeah, I do. I, so I it was it did not work. I think they got shut out um, the last time I, I played the Braves, but it was a similar thing. It's like okay. With certain teams, it's tougher. Um, I think I, I've always found the Blue Jays to be one that, like, not that I don't care what they're owned, because that's definitely not the case. Everyone has like, power in their lineup, so I don't mind Biggio or Gurriel yep. or a guy at the Biggio bottom of the order. Time, I play Biggio every time I play the Blue I played him. I, I actually played the Blue Jays against Martin Perez, and I did this, you know. So you play the two. I play Vlad, and I play Bichette. Those happen to be the two guys that I chose. That like, I, like I'm definitely not fading Vlad. Vlad is like, Vlad's like, if you fade Vlad in your Blue Jay stacks, like, 
I'm as galaxy brained as anybody, but like, did you fade Mike Trout in your angel stacks? Like, let's, let's take the MVP probably should be included. So, you know, I played Vlad and I played Bichette, but then like Biggio is hitting eighth. And the other thing is about like these particular circumstances, like these are good players. Like you said, it's not even just like the Biggio was like one of the better prospects in baseball. Like he's a, and he's a legitimately really good, good player. I probably think Lourdes Gurriel is better than he even is. But like you said, clearly has power. Some combination of Gritchick and Teoscar. You know, I think typically everybody gravitates towards Teoscar, you know, because he hits fourth as opposed to fifth or sixth, which is kind of funny. Um, but like you know, sometimes Danny Jansen or it was Riley Adams the other day is the 2K chalk catcher. But then sometimes Reese McGuire's in the lineup for 2,400 and he's 1%. And it's like, I just, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me sometimes. So I have done this a lot more frequently than like I would have in the past. And it all goes back to this. How owned should they be? And it, it's like, God, you said it perfectly. Like, I'll go to a team. Like, I'll go to the Padres today and do exactly like what you just did. And it's like, okay, I, I know that they're going to be chalk. But like, what is really the difference between playing Jake Cronenworth and playing Tommy Pham? Nothing, uh, nothing really like like almost almost Eric Hosmer. You know, I know he, Eric Hosmer is probably going to hit three ground outs, but what's really the difference ultimately between playing Eric Hosmer and playing Will Myers? Nothing. And so you can a lot of the times find those situations where it's like, yes, okay, I know you're playing Tatis. He's the highest owned player of the slate, and I know Machado is certainly not contrarian. But like you can tag on the catcher, right? Throw Caratini in there, and then play the two low owned guy, play the two two percent guys. That are like there should never be those two percent guys in these stacks, but they're always, almost always are, right? It, there's very rare circumstances I think where you know, like the Angels actually are one of them. It's like I don't know how you stack the Angels without Trout. No, you know, like who are you playing if you're not playing Trout and Otani? Like you know, it gets really ugly. Jose Iglesias and David Fletcher and stuff. It gets really bad. But there's a lot of these other good teams that you can do this. So kind of almost going all the way back to our original point about like, do we think like the chalk continues to, you know, hit? I almost feel like my play, I, I said no, but my play might kind of say otherwise because I am more willing to play some of these higher owned teams because of multiple, multiple of the factors we talked about here. Maybe they're not efficiently owned. Maybe they are actually under owned um, as, as the chalk or like, some of them are efficiently owned, some of them are over-owned, and some of them are under-owned, right? Like, I would probably argue Tatis at 29 or 30% ownership is not under-owned, like, or is not over-owned. I don't know. I, maybe he's efficient. Maybe he's, you know, whatever. But, like, what the hell should one of the best hitters in baseball in the best matchup in Coors Field be? Like, probably pretty popular. When, when, especially know, with the pricing where you could afford him in your lineup. Yeah, where you're not giving up anything. Right, he's 6,400 on DraftKings and 5,000 on FanDuel, yet you could still build perfectly good lineups with him. <laughs> you could probably stack. That's the other crazy thing is I will look, and I'll, maybe I'll get to that in a second. Like you said, that's what he should be owned. But he has teammates in this just as advantageous spot that allow you to play that team with tons of upside. You're not giving up, giving up upside by playing Jake Cronenworth and Eric Hosmer, you know? You're not giving up upside by playing Kevin Biggio and Lourdes Gurriel, right, at, over Marcus Simeon. Like, if anything, you know, it's the same. So anyway, like, there are a lot of those spots that, like, I did, that's not how I used to play, honestly. But I think the game is a little bit, a bit different. 
Um, so I am more willing to, to kind of go, go after those things. And the other thing that I'll do, you mentioned like, Oh, you can't play the, um, like you wouldn't be able to play the reds and the Padres together. And so well, I mean, you I, could, I, but I, you'd, you'd have to play like a, a you're, 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 if you played the chalk pot, if you played the high price Padres, you'd have to play a, a Kyle Farmer, Stevenson, yeah. you know, swat, you have to like, you're not, you're not playing yeah. Winker. You're not playing Castellanos. Like, you know, I playing like the to go- look, I like to look at that and see it's like, okay, these are the top two, right? Go pull up the bat. These are the top two raw projections. How can I, is there a way to make it work? Maybe it's like literally stone impossible because like you said, I will, I'm willing to kind of take it a little too far with playing some of the, some of these hitters, but like, yeah, Kyle Farmer and Alex Blandino and Tucker Barnhart. And uh, okay, now we're getting a little bit too crazy, but like, can I play Casty? Maybe I will play Kyle Farmer. And no, uh, frankly, Suarez is so bad. I'm not sure that he's any better than, than, than Kyle Farmer, but like, oh, they just brought up Aquino. Right. Maybe is he 2K? You know, can I just play Stevenson over Vado? And now the next thing you know, I have Reds Padres with a good pitcher. Or do like what about if I jam all those guys in? What does it leave me at pitcher? Like maybe I can't even afford anybody. And now I and it, but you just start playing with these different things. Well, and, or you do the opposite and, way. You do the you put in the four best reds and you go, uh, I'm gonna play I'm gonna play Suarez over I mean, I'm going to play uh, Suarez over Machado yep. and build a Tatis, Hosmer, Cronenworth, and, and, and Profar. Or right, or, or Carantini even. And, and yeah. no one play, is going to play him in the catcher spot, on, especially on FanDuel, FanDuel right? Yep. And you do, it's like, okay, you have bottom of the order Padres and the top of the order Reds. They're the yep. two, and they're the two most, let's say, on, in this fictitious slate, they're the two most owned team, and you and you have a decent enough pitcher. You have a nine K pitcher. If it's Fanduel, make it easy. Yep. I yep. use Fanduel as an example because it's four man stacks. It's only one pitcher. We don't right. have to get into everything else. Uh, that lineup may project pretty three points less than ones with like Machado in it, and maybe like maybe thirty percent less owned. Like, yep. and you just look, and you're still playing the two, you're playing the two chalkiest stacks that there are, but that combination, like that's where we get to combinatronics or common combinatorics. I always say that wrong. Combinatronics. I like saying that that way. Uh, and that combination. Yeah. While the Padres, like if you play, people play fam, Grissom, Machado, Tatis, like, dude, you're going to run into a lot of similar lineups. <laughs> Okay, right. so you need to find a way to be much different. But if you're gonna play, if you're not gonna play Machado and you're gonna play Caratini on Fanduel, like Caratini may it may only be two percent owned on Fanduel. It's like that that combination now at most could be two percent. I mean, the combination right. at most because Caratini is only two percent owned, and there's probably some one-off Caratini somewhere, right? Some some yeah. someone's right. using him as a one-off for some reason on Fanduel. But probably Osimo, awesome probably Osimo, and he's gonna hit a home run. Right. I'll guarantee. I'll guarantee. Do you, do you notice that? Okay, here here's another thing. <laughs> well, we'll 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 end on this, uh, <laughs> this conversation. Have you noticed that that Alex has been utilizing a less stacking strategies this season? Yes. Mm-hmm. And but the, the, I I, I'm not acting on it yet, but I'm monitoring it. For sure. Yeah, but I don't. I, I don't necessarily think 
I don't, I don't necessarily think it's necessary. I don't necessarily think. I think I think it's small sample size syndrome. I I, I think yeah. I think especially earlier in the year, because remember in in like uh, in April, I mean it, it, this ba- it's cold, mm-hmm. and it's boring baseball, right? Teams yep. are using multiple pitchers because pitchers aren't being stretched out, which now you know it it ends up it's, it ends up we saw in April and May it's like wow it's 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 gotten more three outcome baseball yeah strikeout walk home run or something like that mm-hmm. so the value so it was like oh we, we see these lineups that are like less stacked they, it's a format it's like on FanDuel before and then one one four one ons mm-hmm. or you'll see like three two twos on DraftKings yeah. or something like that and people <laughs> are like well if it's if you're just home run hunting now. Like why do we? Why should we be stacking? But it's now June. It's just, I mean, I mean, look at the total. The totals are coming up, right? I mean, have you watched the last week of baseball? Right. Every night there's somebody scoring 15. Right. So like, I don't understand. I I don't understand if 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 unless you believe that the average offense in baseball is going to go dramatically down, even further than it has been, how how could stacking like? Like Jude, just pick the right. If you pick the right two teams, you. I mean, you win. I. I. I don't. I think. I think Alex is playing around with it. Yeah, but that's but what I think too. I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't necessarily think it. It changes much. Plus, as as we, we've said, and you say in your in your in your pieces, it's twenty twenty one, and I know we take stacking for granted, right? Oh, it's like five yep. man stack on DraftKings. Four man stack on Fan. You do four three one or four four on Fanduel. You do five three five x five one one one. Shorter slates, maybe you get four three one or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like if you just did that every slate, you're fine. And it's like, well, d- doesn't everyone know that? No, everyone still does not know it. This field, it's on DraftKings where you could download the stuff. So I mean, I could look at it. Uh, Fanduel, you can't. Uh, right. The field still doesn't stack enough. And I can confirm on FanDuel, even though you can't download it, that they, it might be worse on on. Yes, on it's worse. It, it, I can tell anecdotally from looking at lineups, it's way worse on FanDuel. It's really, it's really, really bad. And I think we talked about this a little bit before, before too. Yeah. So to, on to, on on Alex, I, I think it's mostly just like a really smart player trying to toy around with some. And he's not which doing is good, with all but, his lineups. It's not like he's right. going in and putting in 150 like that. Which is which is honestly what you should do, right? I mean, especially you have so many slates over a baseball season. Like seeing what works and what works for you is good, but like the pricing is still the same. We've been talking for well, we've been talking for months now, but we've been talking for uh, you know quite a while for the baseball season, and it, it, it hasn't really gotten tougher. I guess maybe a smidge tougher at the top end on DraftKings right now. You know, we're we're seeing them raise those guys just a little bit over. You know, they're over six k and stuff now. But the issue is that it's still so easy to fit them that it, it it really hasn't changed the dynamics of the game that we're playing. That people, I and I, I don't know. I, I actually don't know what the real true answer is. It uh, people some people just don't even believe in stacking. I mean, I, I'm not going to call call anybody out, but I listen to people you know on shows and stuff talk about, about how. Yeah, Dean. Oh, Dean, Dean. Dean says it, and then like there's other sites and stuff that they're just like you know they create pools of players and they just tell people to pick. You know, here's my three second baseman. It's like, you know, what are you what are you doing? So, 
But it's but if, just, if you go if you go by if you analyze just five years, a large sample size of contests, and if you run simulations, I mean, it's obvious that the that the from a construction standpoint, you could make five man stack lineups that are are fucking awful. Correct. Like so, it's not a construction thing. It's a it's oh I'm gonna I'm gonna play I'm gonna play the bottom of the order pirates. And uh, five man bottom of the other pirates. I'm going to play the 11K pitcher that is c- clearly overpriced, right? So it has an eight point projection and is 11K, right? And then take three <laughs> one offs that are also way overpriced and over Like, like oh, I made a five three line. Uh, like, no, it's a horrible lineup. I mean, because it's, <laughs> it's, 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 remember the three levers projection, leverage, yep. correlation. So, like, we're just talking in the span of the correlation lever. Right, you're gonna be using it, like, but yeah. not at the spite of like, like, right. oh, screw projection, screw leverage. Just, I'm gonna take five injured players off the bench. Well, they're all correlated, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, I mean, you don't you don't do that. So, uh, just going by, but if you just analyze, if you just ran lineups, simulated out five thousand, ten thousand times every slate, the win equity. Of lineups that are like on you do it with Slate IQ. That's why mm-hmm. when people look at Slate IQ every day, I say why you look. You all, there's only one section you need to look at every day is where the teams are. Yep. Everything else is pretty much going to be about the same for the size of the slate. So yeah, the four yep. game slates, you'll see that though that that five X is actually negative leverage because now it's like now too many people are stacking in an instance where there's only eight teams to play, and if no one scores more than four or five runs. It's like you're better off with two, 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 one, one type lineups. But on but the, the, just just to hop in, but what I'm sure you're going to get to, or or you know, is a an additional point to what you're saying is people take that exact methodology, that line of thinking, and they apply it to like all slates. The the anti-stacking people, they'll say like, you know, uh, look at look at this three-game slate, a one, 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 one off. It's like, dude, it's much more likely to win. On a three game on a on a fifteen game slate, if one team puts up fourteen runs, you're fucking dead. <laughs> and and they'll say everybody's stacking. So so you know yeah, with that, without without downloading I, that without actually seeing that, it's it's, not true. no one not even close to it. I mean, yeah. dude, you could find lineups. You I find tons of on DraftKings. You could find tons of three. It's a three man, then a two man, and then three one offs. Like you find tons of yep. those lineups. Or you find in, in, ones in where contest. right in every right in every contest, but especially the large field stuff, and especially yep. the lower stakes large field stuff. And then sometimes you find users that are putting in seventy five, hundred entries, and it's none of them are stacked, <laughs> like none, like just none. Just like what? What are you? Just here's my mess of players, and however they fit, fit. And typically, those users uh, after after a while, I don't see anymore. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean. It's 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 obvious to me until the point where eighty percent of the field when when it, like because people say oh everyone's stacking not, not it's not even close it's twenty twenty one it's not even close well because look you're running into people that are like I don't even think it's needed you don't even need to stack it's like dude any DFS player that, that does the bare basics of statistical analysis could could show you otherwise. Yeah. Like, yep. like, I mean, I said that to Dean like two years ago. I, I think the first show I ever did with Dean, I think I even clipped it on, on Twitter. <laughs> right. And he's like, Oh, I, I, he, he said to me, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, it, it's all stacked. So I'm going to tag. It. It's like, and he's like, nah, I think I'm just going to pick off the, the players that I want. And they go one, one, one. He's like, that, that's a, 
you know, that, that's a good strategy to lose, right? If you want to lose, that's what that's what you do. If you if you if you're able yep. to pick out the ten home runs that you good 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 luck go good good go go get a lottery ticket at that point. Uh, you can make a lot of money in the prop market if you could pick if you could effectively right, pick ten guys that are home runs. <laughs> you'd make more money. They're all, you they're could... all ten to they're all ten to one to hit home runs every night, so you might as well just go do that. Right, but but. I can understand experimenting with with other constructions and different lineups are different. Like there's there certain lineups may teams maybe play play better as a four man as a three man. It all depends on the lineup. People want like you said with the the anti stacking people. Like they they want like here's here's one slate sample size, and here's and th- that's why all, all all the the analysis especially in NFL, we get it so much in NFL. Oh yeah, NFL is. Week one, what was the first place lineup in the Millie Maker? That's what we do next. Like, dude, like, are you are you serious? <laughs> like, I, I, I almost feel bad for people. Like, I almost lose respect for people that do that. Because it's like, dude, that's like you're 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 breaking like a like oh it's a you're looking at the look at the top one percent of lineups. Look at the top point one percent, look at the top hundred lineups. Fine to at least eliminate some of the variants, but the top lineup only in a contest that has two hundred and seventy-five thousand entries, and go well. Maybe maybe the contrarian way to do is to pay down in three wide receiver spots and somehow get the three guys that had ninety-eight yard touchdowns. Like, My, like what? And, uh, I mean, what? Get the get the three remember? get the three guys that have a hundred yards as the third receiver, three receptions, two touchdowns, and all two percent owned. And then try to replicate. Like, no, that's so, what we should be doing. Like, you can't do that. This happened. Do you remember? Um, I, I think I know what two you're or three about. Years, it's two or three years ago. No one had heard of Tariq Cohen. Okay? Uh, he's on the he's an undrafted rookie for the Bears. Backup running back. He didn't get it. You know how much reporting and stuff there is. Anybody with a pulse that's running around in shorts during the offseason gets some kind of hype, right, from some some reporter. No one had said a – I had never heard – I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was on the Bears. None of that. None of that stuff. In the very – in week one, Tariq Cohen goes for a, like a multiple touchdowns, catches a million balls, and he's obviously min-priced. Right. It was, on, he was less than on, 1% on owned or something. There was like – in the whole Millie Maker, there was like four Tariq Cohen teams. And people are analyzing it. And I remember it was like when DK was still doing – you know, was, was doing more more content and stuff around – around this and they like interviewed the guy and like the guy's just like Joe Schmo, the guy who played him is just like Joe Schmo Bears fan who like went to practice one day and saw this guy you know and it's like nobody nobody knew but people are looking at it and I remember reading stuff and it was like oh see there's so much uncertainty early you got to take shots on these random off the wall guys like Tariq Cohen I'm like I mean I guess but like you're totally missing the forest through the trees here. Like that, stop looking at Tariq Cohen because he is not like putting any analysis into Tariq Cohen is the most gigantic waste of time, right? Like, what was the structure of the team? What was you know what story? You know, being cheesy, what story did that did that team tell or whatever? Right? Where what where did probably that team didn't get tell any leverage? story? It, yeah, because it went first out of fucking 300,000 people and it was a guy who's never played DFS before clicking in some kid he saw at Bears camp but like that's people it just it's it's a good summary of I think people 
misuse, not even like the data, because I don't even know that everybody looks at the data, but they mis misuse kind of what they're seeing and try as they're trying to apply it to their play, right? Like, oh, well, you know, in theory, the optimal lineup every night is probably some non-stack team, right? There might be a couple guys from the same team, but right. no one has that lineup, but if you try to make the best possible lineup, the lineup that cannot be yeah. beaten, highest possible score, it's going to, it's going to be one offs. It's going to be primarily yeah. ones and twos and, yeah. and a random $4,800 pitcher that did, I mean, whatever. And it's like, it's 40 points higher than the GPP winning score. And it's like, yeah. like no one would have gotten to that lineup. But if, and you, you, don't but if you try to get to that lineup, you're going to miss 7 million times trying to get and to them because there's no predictability to it whatsoever. Yeah. But you don't have, but you don't need that line. You say it, but you don't need that lineup. Exactly. You just need to that, beat that, the people a, in your contest. Yeah. And so that, that, that's kind of like this, this whole conversation kind of reverts almost back to that. The most simple, the simplest point, right. Is that we're trying to get first in this silly ass game that, that we're playing, but it's like, how owned should people be? How should I build my teams? It's like, well, What's the best thing that you need to do for for your contest, right? How owned should that guy be? I don't know. You know, on a, take a look at that slate. Take a look at the alternatives and take a look at, yeah, is he Jacob deGrom or is he Lance Lynn, right? Like, should I be stacking? I don't know. Is everybody stacking in your, is everybody stacking in your, in your contest? Like, I'm, I'm not out here. Like, I didn't come up with stacking. It's not like, I'm not tied to stacking. I'm just tied to strategies that, that, like, I think give me a better chance to win than, than my opponent. That's proven and I think to people, be plus EV. Right, exactly. And so that's all that we're trying to do, and, and, right? and, trying to, to win. And the stuff that we mentioned is, it, I mean, I it's the number, it's the, the two biggest biases that I use when it comes to, you know, the game theory aspect is recency and sample size bias. Sampling bias to me is the, is the easiest, like recency is the easiest to explain. Oh, this guy did well, he's going to do well tomorrow. You know, like that, you know, we in the NBA playoffs, you see that. Uh-huh. Right. That, that's it doesn't really exist. Recency bias at almost anywhere near as much as it used to. But NBA playoffs, it is king. it is the absolute king. Just literally fade the guy who did well last game. But sampling bias is the same thing. How are people going to treat you? Re- remember when uh, Alec Manoa made his first start mm-hmm. and like he did he was barely owned. He was owned somewhat because he was a prospect. And he went out and had a great game. Then his next start, he's still under, he's underpriced on DraftKings. And he's like 70% owned and puts Highest up five points. Pitcher. And yep. f- puts up mm-hmm. five points. And you know what I did that slate? Didn't have, I stacked against him. Because <laughs> yep. like the sample size, not because I didn't think Alec Manoa is a bad pitcher, a bad pitcher, is that all people have seen is one game. How are people reacting to that sample size? Well, they're reacting way, way too much. And then we have guys like Patrick Corbin that go out and have a bad game and then no one wants anything to do with the guy. And it's like, (laughs) okay, one of these days I'm going to get this right. 40% Patrick Corbin and you pray, right? It's the same for Robbie Ray. I mean, it's those types Mm -hmm. of pitchers, but it's, it's not... Because people are going to take so much into like one game or two games. I want the opposite direction of where everyone's going. Because my attitude is we don't know shit in one game. Like I just Mm -hmm. come from like, what do we know or what we don't know? I automatically assume we know nothing. 
right? Which makes it easier to build lineups because I just assume that I know not, that no one knows anything, right? So I'm just going by the numbers. And based on the numbers, this guy should be a good, Luis Castillo should be a good pitcher. So the less and less he gets on, the more and more I play him. And until, until proven otherwise, I'll keep on going until I win my money back. Right. Right. <laughs> but but it's based on we'll that sample know, right? size. Yeah. But eventually we'll know. But by then everyone knows and there's no advantage. On, right. On there's either no advantage side. either. He's efficiently owned now. Yep. Right. But you're using that sample size. Uh, uh, it, but you see primarily with pitchers, not necessarily even batters. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't have hot batters. I guess Jesse Winker for a while was a little bit over owned when he was on a tear. But with the pitchers, you, you obviously see that it's like, oh, three good starts in a row. Right or, or someone's or someone's coming back from the from the IL. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to touch him now. It's like, no, that's when I yeah. play him, right? Mm-hmm. Or we had we had the one game last week where uh, Framber Valdez, right, broke the slate, pitching like a hundred and ten pitches, like out of nowhere, and it's like no one won. The, the reason why people didn't play, he wasn't projected as well, is because of his pitch count. Because remember, he was coming off of an injury. He pitched like mm-hmm. 82 pitches to start before. And it's like, what is he going to go up to? Like 95? 92? 90? Do they really? And then he runs out and he throws like, he throws nearly a complete game. And it's like he's 2% owned. I played Denilson Lamette last night. And uh, I will probably continue. I, I actually don't know how many pitches he, pitches he threw, but. People same, are scared to play problem. him because of the pitch count problems. It's like, well, he's uh, it's like, well, he came back basically as a reliever and he hasn't thrown more than 75, but I'm like, no, you don't understand. And like, this is another one where you're not just like, oh, you know, he's maybe not that great of a pitcher. Valdez is good. Like Lamette is like elite. Like the bat had him in like the top 10 pitchers in baseball to start the season. Um, so like, I'm not just like betting on a guy who like, oh, he has some upside, but I have pitch count concerns. No, I'm talking about this guy's $7,000 and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, but literally no one is playing. I know it was in core, so it's a little bit different, but like no one is playing this guy and he's going to throw a hundred pitches eventually, you know, or 95, or he's going to throw plenty of pitches. What what you want to get, you want to play him when he's 7,000 at 2% owned rather than and take the chance that he's only going to pitch 70 pitches and you don't have a problem going, okay, I got my 12 points and that, eh, whatever. But yep. the advantage of on the start where he goes 105 pitches and strikes out 12, you're getting him at 7,000 at 2% owned. The next slate, he's 9,500 and he's 34%, right? <laughs> yep. Then then you don't play him. Then yep. that, actually that next slate, you have to think, well, maybe that one game was and that was was an outlier, and maybe he's going to go back and only pitch eighty two pitches. Right? That's so funny. Is that's it? That's like my that's my content every day. Is me saying d- describing this Lamette or Valdez situation. I'm like, look, we don't really know. Eventually, he's going to throw a bunch of pitches, right? So we should play him tonight. And then, like, it, what, like yeah, like you said, that's when he does well. So then the next start comes around, and I'm do- and I'm describing to these people, you know, if they're like more casuals, they're like. You said to play Lamette last start. He had the best game of his career. And now you're telling me like, well, maybe that was a fluke. So maybe you should not, not play him tonight. <laughs> like, what are you, like, what the hell are you, what is this guy? Yeah, you overowned. That's the, exactly. It comes down to efficient ownership. Yep. I, re- I remember, uh, what, three years ago, I stacked against Adam Plutko every game. <laughs> uh, every game. His, because he, he doesn't, he doesn't strike people out. 
and he just basically throws it over the plate, and and he gives he has like a fifty something percent fly ball rate, and it's like like I don't know how he's a magician, a, but he always has low pitch counts because he doesn't walk anyone, so yep. he's like seven innings, four hits, in two runs and two strikeouts, and it's like how is this? And I look at his his underlying metrics. It's like he has an ERA of like 3.20 and a Sierra of 6.5 or something. <laughs> and I'm like, like, like his ex-fip is ridiculous. I'm like, like, dude, this guy's going to get shelled. Like by some, someone's gonna, some team's going to hit six home runs off of this guy. And every six days, Eric, <laughs> just seven innings, five hits, two, he'll give up one home run. But it's like, dude, is this guy ever going to get shot? Like, just kept on, like, I kept on, stat, like, Plipko's on the slate, which I don't care what the team is. Marlins, Pirates, didn't matter. Just stacked them every, and, uh, you know, you know, the, he finally, in his last start in September of that, of that year, he got killed for nine runs in the first inning. And, <laughs> and the funny part is, I wasn't playing. I was I was on a cruise and I couldn't play DFS. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so that is like the exact perfect like DFS player scenario. Like I know I'm right. I'm not gonna stop. Right. I'm, I'm not, not gonna, gonna stop. stop. I literally <laughs> stacked him every start from like May through till September, and then it's like, well, I obviously can't play DFS on the cruise because that's when I went to Hawaii. Yep. Then all I know, I I started getting messages from people because I I would, I would make fun of this all the time. That pl- I got to play it, you got to stack against Plutko. Just I'm on shows I'm doing, like I'm just gonna go back to the well. And people are tweeting me like, and, and I, I I didn't even know. So I go in the MLB app about Plutko. I I I hope you're winning money. And I look and I see that like like whatever the Orioles or something like that. Like nine, like they hit like three home runs. And like two double, like they they just killed him in the first inning, and they he still stayed in for the second inning, and I think they got him for another four or five runs or something. And it's like I'm sitting there going, like, well, you know, I would have had at least ten percent of this stack, and uh, and no, I'm on I'm on a cruise. And now his career is stone dust, and he's he's a reliever for the Baltimore Orioles. Right, so maybe that says a lot. Give you a little if, bit of solace. Gives you a little solace in like you were. <laughs> You were clearly right. He's a freaking reliever on the worst team in baseball. Right. <laughs> okay, Eric, mine for you have a you have a podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, with the establish the run, you did a show with uh, with Leone, who apparently yep. you, you guys didn't like each other beforehand. Yeah, I, I I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but I was. I, I like to think I'm a lot calmer and nicer now. I still like to joke and, and get some jabs in here and there but I've grown up a little bit so when I was like in my mid-20s or something like that I think I was a little bit too much of a dick on Twitter and I think Leone even admits he probably was a little bit too and we didn't agree on a lot of like fantasy takes so we didn't we didn't particularly get along very well like on Twitter and now it's just funny the evolution of yeah but analytically you two you two I mean we're, we all talk about the same things I think we were very both stubborn on certain things that we might uh, dis, dis, disagreed on. I think it was funny because we, you know, over the years we learned that we really agree on just about everything. But for whatever reason, like when we first started interacting, the two percent of things, things that you don't agree with, you just yell it. You become a dick over. Yes, we and we, yeah, we were we were contributing to the top toxicity of uh, Twitter back then, being being assholes for no no real reason, or at least I know I certainly wasn't. 
so yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't really get along originally. And now over the years, you know, we, we get along really well and we, and we agree a ton, but yeah, obviously like kind of piggybacking off the stuff we talked about last week, um, with best ball, Leone and I caught, um, a little more in depth, you know, for like the hand in the dirt, establish the run folks while still focusing on a lot of the same stuff that you and I talked about last week and kind of the, where we think the edges lie, like, you know, and how similar it is, it is to DFS. A lot of the, well, also Leone, Leone, Leone plays it. I get, we, I was talking and, and, and they, here's my theories, not playing best ball. I hope I'm close. And you're like, I, you are close. It's like just a matter of, do I, do I, do I, do I, I don't, I don't want to, I, it, just, it doesn't excite me. Yeah. I, and, you know what'll end up happening, Eric? I'll 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 end up doing some best ball drafts in August. I'll, I'll I I see it happening. But it is a good primer. Not that you like need a primer for Week One NFL, but I do think it it, it helps a little bit. Just kind of contextualize for for DFS players. Like you know, at the end of the day, I know you're you know just kind of these are just these are just my chess pieces. These are names. I don't really care about who they are, but, but you can still treat, treat them that way while understanding a little bit. Like, I just think like doing the, like having an understanding of how the players fit together, like the archetypes of the players and like the fragility of the players and all that kind of stuff can kind of help, um, heading into a DFS season, as opposed to coming in and just seeing like, Oh, you know, (laughs) so so I I should do what I normally do and not know who's on what team until the Thursday before the first First week once later, the DFS. Right, for DFS. so you so you don't run into so you don't run into Frank Gore again uh, uh, from from last last year. Granted, it's a very very different different situation, but um, just so you don't have to get bad lucked into this guy sucks and this team is sucks and this whatever um, with a with a running back. But no, like I, I think I really do think for you know any listeners that are like you know maybe NFL is their favorite sport or whatever. Like even just doing a, a few, you know, they're, they have $3 drafts on, on DraftKings. They have all the way down to a dollar for just like 12 man leagues, which I don't really play, but um, there's going to be a lot more coming down, you know, closer, closer to the season. And I really do think it's like both a really plus EV thing to do um, best ball drafts in general, but it's also like a really good primer for, for NFL season. Well, you could check out uh, the Establish the Run podcast with uh, Eric and Michael Leone. Go check. I, I, I have it in my queue. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm assuming it's good. Uh, and then uh, follow Eric at Eric Bime for me at Blender HD. And get the theory of daily fantasy sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. <laughs>